Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Uh, This song is uh, my favorite of the Christmas season. I don't remember why or when I really fell in love with Joy to the World. Maybe it was just because I was a kid and I loved the joy of it, the pep of Joy to the World. Uh, But I've always loved Joy to the World. And I guess when you plan a sermon series that uh, follows along with Christmas carols, you kind of get to pick the one that's your favorite. And so I did some reading and research about this particular Christmas song. And believe it or not, it didn't start out as a Christmas song. Isaac Watts is the author of it. In the 1700s, he was born in England. And uh, he, his dad was a part of the Anglican church, at least for a little while. But his dad was a nonconformist, was actually in prison because some of the things he was teaching as a part of his life were in discord with the Anglican church. In fact, it's reflective of why we have a country. One of the reasons why the pilgrims left England is because the Church of England did not grant religious freedom to other denominations and other ideas for worship outside their own denomination, the the Church of England. And Isaac Watts kind of grew up in that paradigm and in that uh, situation. As he grew up, he was disenchanted with the music that took place in worship services that he attended. And he told his dad about it. He said, listen, this, this music is not to my liking. These songs are not to my liking. They don't uh, bring joy to our lives. They don't bring in encouragement to us. So his dad looked at him and said, we'll do something about it. So 600 hymns later, 600 poems later, Isaac Watts wrote hymn after hymn after hymn. And one of the hymns that he wrote came from the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 98. And he wrote joy to the world as a reflection of the truths that are found in Psalm 98. The reason joy to the world got associated with Christmas is uh, really that's a long story in the making. Lowell Mason put it to the traditional music, not what we heard tonight, but the tune. And that was about a generation later. And then for whatever reason, the song was chosen to be sung at a Christmas celebration in 1911. Uh, by a lady by the name of Elise Stevenson. And it has since then been associated with Christmas as a Christmas carol. If you look in your copy of the hymnal, it will be in the Christmas section. Just so you guys know, if you choose to sing that song at a time that's not Christmas, it's fine. Especially that version. That's just a glorious version. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. There is reason to rejoice. Uh, I was studying and came across some of these quotes about joy, joy that we should experience. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I think we all sin by needlessly disobeying the apostolic injunction to rejoice as much as by anything else. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, God cannot endure that unfestive, mirthless attitude of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious, busy haste, or even with shame. Through our daily meals, he is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. So I read those quotes as I think about joy to the world, the song, and then as I reflect on where we are, I'll be honest with you, this message and this worship service is something that I needed in my own personal life. 
There are times throughout the year that I would be more rightly described as a Grinch or a grump than I would as someone who rejoices and enjoys life. The tensions and the stresses that surround what I do and what I'm called to do and sometimes just my own personality move me toward a place of, of, uh, of kind of sadness and, and negativity. It's easy for those stresses to drive me to frustrations and then for those frustrations to come out in my own daily experience. And just this week as I was reflecting on some things that I've talked with people about and some folks in our church family have lost loved ones and some difficulties that people are going through and some challenges. And then my own thinking through how the election's gone this year, the political tensions, the pandemic, where that leaves us. I'll be honest with you. I don't feel a lot of joy right now. My, my experience walking into the room today to preach, my experience of walking through the day is not one where I wake up and I'm ready to meet the world and I'm enjoying life. It's one where I'm wondering what's next. What difficulty are we going to go through and how not am I going to rejoice through what we go through, but how am I just going to make it through the next 10 minutes or 20 minutes or next few hours or next day? How are we just going to make it? And that's a tension that I don't think I'm alone in wrestling with. In fact, when I planned this worship series on songs for Advent, I didn't have any doubt that this one would be one of them. But if I had to rethink it, I wouldn't put it in there because I don't feel like it. And I think that's exactly why God wanted me to look at this text and why God wants us to think about Psalm 98 and exactly why this type of concept is important for us because joy is not circumstantial. Joy is scriptural. See, many of us, we embrace happiness based on circumstances. But the type of joy that God expects of us as his followers of Jesus, quoted by C.S. Lewis there, the sin of not rejoicing is a sin that we all struggle with. Listen, it is scriptural. It is not based on what we're experiencing. It has to be based on what is true and what God says. And that comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 98. Let's read this text that drove Isaac Watts to put pen to paper and write joy to the world. I'll sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. If joy is not circumstantial, if joy is scriptural, then there are three reasons that we can rejoice. Three reasons that we can rejoice in God. We can rejoice in God, our Savior. In fact, we must rejoice in God, our Savior. The psalmist here is reflecting back on the way that God rescued the Hebrew people, rescued the Hebrew people out of Egyptian slavery 
And man, they suffered when they were in slavery. Uh, They suffered there for about 400 years. And God heard their cries and God sent Moses to deliver them from the land of slavery. And that rescue was a rescue like no other rescue has been experienced on the face of the planet. There were 10 plagues and God destroyed the Egyptian army by parting the Red Sea. And God provided for his people throughout the wilderness wanderings. He gave them food. And he gave them water in miraculous ways. I mean, that is, is something that the book of Exodus testifies to. But it's something that is recalled over and over again in the Psalms. As God's move and God's act to bring salvation upon his people. And it wasn't just a standalone experience either. Over and over again, God worked to rescue his people. He intervened in situations and in circumstance to bring salvation to those who were a part of his family. The book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20, I was reading this this week in my quiet time. Jehoshaphat was a king, and he was a good king, made some poor alliances with some of the northern kings, but he, he was a good king overall, led the people to worship God and replaced idolatry. In this one occasion, the, the empires, or the nations rather, of Ammon, Moab, and Edom all joined together, and they were going to try to take over Judah. And Jehoshaphat could have made an alliance and he could have done some other things, but he didn't. He prayed. He went to God and he proclaimed a fast and he had the people pray. And God said, go out to battle, but don't fight them. Go out to battle and just watch what I do. Well, that takes a little bit of faith, okay? It takes a little bit of faith to take your armies out. Actually, God told them, don't just take your armies out, take your worship leaders out. So, so next time God calls Wilkesboro Baptist Church to battle, Mike, you and Eddie and the praise team, y'all are with me. Y'all, y'all are the, the front lines of the battle. That's really what they did. Read it. Second Chronicles 20. They went out there and instead of drawing up arms, instead of sending the archers out, instead of sending the cavalry out, Jehoshaphat got them singing and praising and worshiping. And the singing and the praising and the worshiping were of God and what he was going to do even before God did anything. And the armies fought themselves and killed everybody in Edom's army and Moab's army and Ammon's army. They fought amongst themselves. The Israelites watched. And they were picking up the spoil for four days. The story of Scripture is the story of God's working of salvation. He brought his people out of Egypt. He rescued over and over again like he did with Jehoshaphat. And folks, he's done that with you and me. We must rejoice in God, our Savior. We may look around us and see all kind of difficulties. And I do. I'm experiencing some of them. You're experiencing some of them. By extension, we're experiencing them through other people. We know loved ones. We know family members. We know friends whose hearts are broken right now. They lost loved ones this year. And so they're going through this Christmas season without a husband or without a wife or without a mom or dad without a son or a daughter. They're grieving. They're working through the tensions of a pandemic and how all that affects them. And they're suffering and we're struggling with them as well. We're, we're struggling on behalf of them. But I want to tell you something, regardless of the experiences that we have, God is our Savior. I want you to think about this. When God rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt and when God rescued the people of Israel from those armies, he didn't automatically remove the conflict from around them. 
He was with them in the midst of it. Listen, when God rescues and God saves, he doesn't automatically make our lives easier. What he does is he remains with us in the midst of the situation we face. And he saves us through it, not always from it. Some of you understand what that's like. You know that years ago, you put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know you shouldn't be here. You should be dead. You should be in some kind of drug-induced stupor because of the way that you were living your life. But you know what God did? He reached down into your situation. He convicted you of your sin. And he showed you that Jesus was your rescuer and your Savior. And you inexplicably put your faith in Jesus. And guess what? You're in a different place today. You're rescued. You've experienced salvation. You have the peace of God. God changed you from the inside out. He didn't overlook your pride. He dealt with your pride on the cross of Jesus Christ, but he forgave your pride and your self-righteousness, whatever it is, and he redeemed you and he saved you and he forgave you. And folks, we can rejoice in God, our Savior. We can. Not just we can, we must rejoice in God, the Savior. That's the whole point of Christmas. I think one of the reasons Joy to the World became a Christmas song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. The incarnation of Jesus, Jesus being born to a virgin Mary laid in that manger is a reflection of the salvation that God was going to give. We rejoice in God our Savior. We rejoice in God the King. The text tells us that God is King. This psalm is actually a coronation psalm. In, in a coronation, you anoint someone, or not anoint, but declare someone to be king. You read back through the Old Testament, see that happen with David. We see that happen in, in particular splendor with Solomon. And the rejoicing that took place that day was grand and was glorious. And the praise and the sacrifices that were made and the songs that were sung and the rejoicing that took place. But this isn't a coronation song about a human king. This is a coronation song about The king, God, the king, the only king, the only ruler. Notice what it says. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. It's why we do what we do. It's why we worship. It's why we sing. I'll be honest with you, this pandemic's been challenging for that. I know Mike and Eddie... You look out and you see people in masks and you're not sure if they're singing. I'm not sure if they're praising. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of the big tensions I've wrestled with as a pastor. We're told to sing. We should sing. But one of the ways that you can spread germs or a disease if you're asymptomatic or if you have COVID is by singing and expressing yourself because we are expressing whatever's in us physically. Say, man, that, that, that's depressing, Pastor, because, you know, we're supposed to sing. By the way, when we look out at you in a normal setting of life, okay, pre-pandemic, and we see half of you not singing, it, it's difficult for us it, it, because the Bible tells us we're to sing to the Lord. We're to make a joyful noise. That's all I can do. I can't, they don't ask me to sing in the praise team because I can't carry a tune. But I can make a noise. If it's joyful to the Lord, it's only joyful to the Lord. It's not joyful to anybody else, but we can make a joyful noise. But but what about now? Can we really sing really loudly? Should we? Some of the reasons we've sang more to you or to the Lord and you as a congregation and not congregational is because of all this that we're going through. 
I want you to catch something. I, this is so encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. Notice what it says in verse 7, though. We're not the only ones that sing praise. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. The rivers clap their hands. The hills sing for joy together before the Lord. The Lord, the King. Listen, it, it, it's not just us that praise God in our singing. And we should and we, we need to. I needed to. I needed to sing tonight. I needed to obey the command of God and rejoice whether I felt like it or not. I want to tell you something. Whether we are or not, every time a river flows, every time a creek laps against the side of its banks, it's praise to the Lord. Every time you go to the ocean and the ocean roars and it laps against the beach, it's praise to the Lord. Every time the wind sweeps through the hills and the mountains, and you've been there, we're in, we're in kind of the, the sort of mountains of North Carolina. But if you're on the mountains and the wind sweeps through, you can hear it through the leaves, you can hear it through the trees, you can hear it whipping every time. That roar is a picture or is a declaration of praise to God the King. Listen, we look around us and we, we see the difficulty that our world is going through. Ah, you see it, I see it. Man, I want my representative to do this. I want my senator to do that. If only the president would think like I do. If only common sense were much more common and were much more common in Washington than it is. I mean, all of those things, you think it, regardless of which party you're in, we all want our government to do a better job. Let me tell you something. People for millennia have begged for that. They wanted Nebuchadnezzar to do a better job and Cyrus to do a better job. Go all the way back to Paul's day. They wanted Nero to do a better job. Governors and leaders, they wanted them to have a spine rather than be spineless like Pilate and like Herod when Jesus was crucified. I want to tell you something. We have a king. The world's not going to automatically become better regardless of who's elected or regardless of what happens or regardless of what's rights are accepted or not accepted or how our world expresses itself politically. Our world will get better when Jesus is king. And until then, there's going to be difficulty and there's going to be disappointment and there's going to be frustration. But what encourages us as followers of Jesus is to remember that our first loyalty, our first citizenship is not to a nation. Or to a party, it's to a king, and his name is Jesus. The first message Jesus ever preached is the first message John the Baptist ever preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus went on to describe and declare that he was inaugurating a kingdom that would begin in our hearts and that would rule through our lives. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We are a part of a citizenship of a king who has a kingdom, who's in charge, who rules, and he hasn't forgotten about you. And he hasn't forgotten about me and he hasn't forgotten what we're going through and where we are. But he's in charge. Because he's in charge, we rejoice in God the King. Let me tell you something, folks. There's going to come a day we don't have to worry about any more of this stuff that frustrates us here. Now, we might be in heaven before that happens. Or we might not be. God might come back and sit on a throne and rule and reign physically and visibly. And we might be a part of that experience before we die. But in any case... We rejoice because Jesus is king. God is king. He's in control. He rules and he reigns. That gives us cause to rejoice. Thirdly and finally, we rejoice in God, the judge. Notice what the text says. This is fascinating. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes 
to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So that's a really strange psalm or way to connect a psalm. You've got God as Savior. Man, we like that, don't we? I like God saving. I like God saving me. And then you've got God as King. Well, I can deal with that. I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of people of a lot of political parties could deal with God as King. I mean, regardless of our differences, if Jesus were the one making the decisions, if he were in control, I don't know that we'd complain less, but we'd have less to complain about, right? I mean, Jesus, we can do that, but what about God as judge? Why does the psalmist end this beautiful psalm with God as judge? I mean, mean, the hymn, Joy to the World, ends there. It's the fourth verse. Uh, He's the one who rules the world with truth and grace. Why does it end with judgment? It ends with judgment because, folks, that's what we've been crying out for. Our world does not function without right and wrong and justice and judgment. We long for truth to be affirmed. We long for those who are wrong to be punished. We can't stand it if people are treated wrongly and they get away, the, the perpetrators get away with it. We can't imagine a world. In fact, for more than 60 years, I guess it's uh, 80 years, almost 80 years now, people have wondered, did Adolf Hitler really die in that bunker? Did he get away and why didn't he come to justice? Because humanly speaking on this earth, if he committed suicide in that bunker, he didn't get justice. He got off easy. Now here's the good news, folks. As followers of Jesus, because we have a God who's a judge, nobody gets off easy. Nobody gets away with their sinfulness. Nobody gets away with their unrighteousness. And let me tell you, the injustice in our world and the cry for justice that we've watched all throughout 2020, the tensions and the riots and the frustrations, and many of those have legitimate foundations, they will not be solved in our circumstance of life. We can move towards solving them. As followers of Jesus, we should. We should seek righteousness and justice and seek the right to, to be accomplished. But the reason we need God the judge is because he's the only one that will ultimately solve those problems. He's the only one that will ultimately step in and fix the way the world and the world is broken. He's the only one that can solve the brokenness that ultimately permeates the world in which we live. And we long for that. And we can rejoice in the fact that there's coming a day when the Lord's coming and he's judge and he's in control. Philip Ryken put it this way. He said, the fear of divine judgment compels us to preach the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. It should compel everyone who hears the message to receive it. If final judgment is a myth, then Christ's death on the cross is irrelevance. But if final judgment is a certainty, then the work of Christ is a necessity for everyone who wishes to stand in God's presence. There's no other way to remain in God's presence except through the work of Christ on the cross. Psalm 98 tells us that the Lord is coming. And Jesus did come at the incarnation. It also tells us that the Lord is coming back. He's going to come back and he's going to bring judgment to a world that is wicked and depraved. All of those things we looked at in the book of Jeremiah, the things that our nation needs to repent of, the things you and I need to repent of, there's going to come a day when God's going to come back and he's going to rule and he's going to judge and those wrongs are going to be righted and those sins are going to be dealt with and there's really only 
two options at that point. You're either forgiven by Jesus the Savior or you're judged by God the King. There's no other place. You either stand before God in a place where your sins are cleansed or you stand before God in a place where you flaunt your sins and God judges your sinfulness. And that's the whole point of Christmas. Jesus came at Christmas so that we would know that we could experience God the Savior and not experience God the judge because God the judge dealt with our sins through Jesus on the cross if we've experienced his salvation. I'll tell you something I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I, I, I don't know. I don't have timetables or time frames, but I believe Jesus is coming back. And I believe when he comes back, he's going to judge. You know how I know that and how I believe that? It's because as I look through the pages of Scripture, every time God made a promise, he kept it. When we were in our Jeremiah series, we explored all of those prophecies that Jeremiah made. And they, they weren't just a series of prophecies. It wasn't like he preached six messages and we got to see whether those took place. No, he preached for 40 years. And in the entirety of his preaching ministry, God kept fulfilling his promises. He preached during the reigns of King Josiah. And then Josiah's son Jehoiakim. And then Josiah's other son Zedekiah. He preached during their reigns, and every time they failed to obey God, God brought judgment. And ultimately, God brought the Babylonians to be their judge and to destroy the people of Israel. The last king, King Zedekiah, was the one where Jeremiah told him, listen, listen, uh, give up. Turn yourself in. Your family will survive. You'll survive. The people will survive. The city won't be destroyed. Zedekiah couldn't help himself, couldn't give up. He was destroyed. His family was destroyed. The city was destroyed. There's a king in between. Only had a three-month reign, actually. His name was Jehoiachin. He was the son of Jehoiakim. And he was made king. And when Babylon came up to besiege them, he gave up. He bowed before Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken prisoner. He was taken with uh, thousands of other exiles to Babylon during that time. And Zedekiah, the one who ultimately rejected Babylon's rule and was destroyed, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah on the throne there in Jerusalem. Jehoiachin was in prison in Babylon. Say, so Pastor, why are you going back to Jeremiah? Just catch this. The scripture tells us in Jeremiah chapter 52 that Nebuchadnezzar, after the siege, after he destroyed Jerusalem, he brought Jehoiachin out of prison and let him eat at his table and treated him kindly. Why? I don't know all the, the, the ramifications of it, but probably because Jerusalem had been destroyed and probably because Jehoiachin had respected maybe the prophecies of Jeremiah, but certainly King Nebuchadnezzar. There's one other time we find Jehoiachin mentioned in scripture. It's not by his name Jehoiachin. He went by three other, two other names, Coniah and Jeconiah. You can read this if you want in Matthew chapter one. Jeconiah was the son of, in the text, listed as the son of Josiah. In many cases in the genealogies, they would skip a generation. So son of jo Josiah, actually the son of Jehoiakim, but he was in the genealogy of Jesus. See, God brought judgment to the people of Israel because they failed to obey him. He sent them in exile. And one of those men that he sent in exile, Jehoiachin, Jeconiah, 
got to be a part of the lineage of Jesus because he had a son. And that son, one of those sons went back, went back from exile, faithfully obeyed God. And then that line came all the way down to Joseph. Even in God's judgment, there is an opportunity for grace. We have reason to rejoice, even if our circumstances don't lead us to feel like it. Believer, are you willing to rejoice? Some of you need to just practice that. So we close our worship service. You need to sing. I don't care how loud you sing. I don't care whether you whisper. You need to sing. I don't care whether you're at home. Some of you are going to be really embarrassed. We just need to rejoice. We need to say, it doesn't matter what I feel like. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. Because if you've experienced God as your Savior, you'll never have to go to hell. If you've experienced God as your Savior, He's living inside you. He is worthy of being worshipped and praised. And we just need to do that. It might make you feel better. But even if it doesn't make you feel better, it's the right thing to do. Unbeliever, if you're watching, if you don't have the peace of God, if you don't have confidence that God is your Savior and your Redeemer and Forgiver, I tell you, before this Christmas season is over, before this day is over, you need to admit that you're a sinner, trust in Jesus alone to be your Savior, and experience God as your Redeemer and Forgiver. There's nothing else that will get you through what we're going through than knowing God as your Redeemer and Savior. I would beg of you not to leave this room, not to get off Facebook or YouTube until you settle in your heart that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Maybe you want to talk to somebody. Call us at the church office. Send us an email. Reach out whatever way you can. I, I could even tell you to do this. If you're on Facebook, you can comment, I need to know how to trust Jesus. Somebody will tell you in the Facebook comments how to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Whatever you've got to do, make sure you get that settled so you can rejoice in Jesus our King. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you, and I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have allowed the way I feel about things, the circumstances around me, to keep me from rejoicing in you. I ask you to forgive me for that. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this glorious Christmas hymn. I thank you even more for this glorious Christmas passage, Psalm 98, that declares to us that you are worthy that you are Savior, that you are King, that you are Judge, that you are righteous and holy, that you are worthy of us worshiping you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you teach us to worship, teach us to rejoice, teach us to depend on you even when we don't feel like doing it. Father, for those that are under the sound of my voice, radio or television or in the room, I pray, Lord, that you would bring them to salvation. I pray that if there are any that are lost that aren't sure of their eternal life, that today would be the day that they would confess their sin and turn from their unrighteousness and follow you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they not let this day go by without dealing with that and making sure that they're your child and they've experienced your salvation. And Lord God, I pray for us as your people, not only that we'd rejoice, Lord, that we would be willing to share this good news of Christmas with those who need to receive the salvation that you came to offer. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.